So has a broadcaster or podcaster ever been as smothered in Vicks Vaporub as I am today? I mean, it's absolutely everywhere. It's under the nose. It's uh, caked on the feet with very thick socks on. And it's uh, rubbed all over the hairy chest. I mean, and, and, and that gets matted. That stuff gets very matted uh, in the hairs of the chest. So I'm here. I'm propped up again by Vicks Vaporub. Um, and it's your dear host, Chappie, the British butler. And it's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Uh, episode number... Oh, we just have to go on the tally. Now, you know, I've got a, um, a piece of marble that I've etched every um, episode of the podcast onto. Uh, just to... Um, yeah, it's episode 74. I'm, I'm a very quick counter as well. Multi-talented. Multi-faceted. Good Friday to you. It's actually Good Friday. Um, and... Um, so some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today on the podcast is uh, Raiders of the Lost Hot Cross Buns. I have been trying to find these little buggers everywhere. I mean, I've searched high and low through Cave and Dale and Dell to look for the inimitable Hot Cross Bun. And um, I did find them eventually. I mean, there's a chappy. You could probably make these Hot Cross Buns yourself. Uh, and they'll be perfectly delicious. Well, true, um, but I, I sort of want to taste the American uh, the American take on the hot cross bun. That's what I basically want to do. I want to see how the Americans create and produce the hot cross bun. And that, that's exactly what I I found it. I mean, it was it was really like the search for the Holy Grail, the Holy Hot Cross Bun. It was it was a search that I've never seen before. I mean, I, I, I could have come across snakes, alligators, great white sharks, lost woolly mammoths, maybe raptors. I mean, it's that's how hard this search has been um, to, to find the, the absolutely delicious hot cross buns. So over the next couple of days, some of the things that we may or may not be talking about. So don't hold me up on talking about these subjects necessarily on this episode. As I said to you, this podcast is a little bit slapdash. Uh, it's not always the most organized. Um, but I sort of like it a little bit rustic, a little rough around the edges, you know. Bits of crust falling off. Not necessarily neatly made, as you've probably seen in my uh, salmon on croute that I made. Um, it was slightly rustic. But I tell you, bloody delicious, without a doubt. So Morrison's are now selling chocolate pizza. We'll be talking about that as well. Uh, on sort of eccentric uh, English habits, which many of these happen at Easter, uh, is the clash of the puddings. Um, basically, uh, that we're talking about uh, black pudding throwing. Um, so that's the congealed blood pudding that uh, people decide to throw like a discus or tossing the caber. I mean, it could get a little bit messy, like when you toss your caber and have a black pudding at the same time. It could be, uh, it could get a little congealy, a little mealy. Yeah, probably not, probably not the best sort of situation, I would say. Um, also, somebody's created uh, cream egg scotch eggs. So these are Cadbury's cream eggs in the middle of a sort of fudge brownie. I mean, is that a little bit too decadent, one might say? Um, also, um, somebody sent me in our, in our sort of... Uh, Little feature that we uh, like to uh, l- like to discuss now and again, uh, basically where social media is tracking and following me, the social dilemma. 
um, is somebody sent me um, a company to actually wax seal your letters. Now, why would they think that I would want to wax seal my letters? I mean, I do like wax sealing my letters uh, with the signet ring, with a, with, a, with a chappy butler crest embossed onto the envelope. I mean, I do like to do that. Uh, Boris Johnson faces legal trouble after claiming he quoted Shakespeare in foreplay. And what did you think of Lash Paul Yorick? I knew him, Horatio, a fine fellow of instant jest and pure majesty. How I hoist him on my shoulders. Maybe he hoists Jennifer Curie on his shoulders or something along those lines. Why bacon sandwiches are bad for your brain. Harry's new title. This is one I want. I like the idea of chief experience officer, baby. But also, I like uh, the chief impact officer as well. Um, also, if you need finest fossil hunters, call out Steve the Plumber. Steve the Plumber. Stig Abel of the Times is talking about swearing. And watch the skies. Even scientists are waiting for Trump's UFO report to land. Uh, we have the most delicious rhubarb and custard creme brulee that Candace Brown. We're going to be describing the recipes. So we have Raiders of the Lost Hot Cross Buns, Quentin Crisp's eccentric cleaning habits, my hatred of flip-flops all year round, and uh, a very suspicious, mysterious white van around the neighborhood. Big men doing yoga, the wonders of Vic Vaporub, and also we have uh, the delicious, the absolutely delicious, chocolate cornflake cakes and chocolate rice crispy cakes with mini eggs. Uh, also, cream penis shoe pastry eclairs. Where do you get these? Um, a man who gets paid $915 final paycheck in a pile of oily pennies. The most, uh, the 10 top 10 chocolate bunnies your Easter basket needs this year. Uh, we never talked uh, with Victoria last week about mushroom coffee. I'm sure she would love a swig of uh, mushroom coffee without a doubt. Uh, the heaviest cherry is the fruit of a decade-long experiment in the University of Bologna. Um, we have some Trump or trombone. We have enigmatic English eccentric habits. Uh, we may have a medieval uh, Tinder character uh, where you are swiping left or swiping right through history. Um, but it's a fun pack show. It's a, a deliciously fun pack show today. But remember, the man who invented predictive text has died. May he rust in piss. So, ladies and mantelpieces, we are trying something a little bit different today. A little bit different. So, on your usual Apple podcast and across most of the platforms, this is purely, purely an audio show. There's no visuals. I mean, as I said, uh, you don't want to see... A rather large-nosed, tall, tallish butler. A little handsome, sometimes funny. But you don't want to see that. So there's no, audio, there's no visual, there's only audio. But I am adding, the music man is adding, the music man plays, is adding songs to the podcast on the Spotify Anchor FM app. So if you want Chappie's Playlist, Chappie's Dearest, Most Delicious, most musically filling playlist, then you have to go to Spotify or Anchor FM. And it's probably going to be 24 hours after um, after the podcast. So you can have the audio delight if you just want to hear my voice. Well, I, mean, who, <laughs> I mean, who would want to just hear my voice? Uh, then you have that. But also on the Spotify Anchor FM, 
download the apps, peeps. I'm also on Audio Burst. I'm still on Audio Burst. They still have me propped up on Audio Burst. I think they're having trouble. My, my podcast and presence is almost magnetic, and they can't remove me from Audio Burst at the moment. Uh, but anyway, if you want my playlist, and it's a nice little holiday version playlist uh, with a slightly sort of religious, tongue-in-cheek overtone, or undertone, is it? I don't know. Um, then you can listen. You can hear Chappie's music. It's a, it's a fine mix of, uh, of, of tracks over the years. Some new, some old, some borrowed, you know, all of that. Uh, so that's what we have. We have, a, you know, a delicious delectation of music delight on Spotify and Anchor. And then on Apple, you can just hear me speaking. So if you're having trouble putting the baby to sleep, you know, I'd stick to Apple. You don't want some, like, loud rock or rap or uh, some of my uh, sort of uh, eclectic tastes interrupting the baby's sleep. But, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you see me as one of those calming, soothing type of uh, put-the-baby-to-sleep situations, then, uh, then probably just listen on Apple and tune in radio, iHeartRadio, uh, and Pandora, across all of those. But Spotify and Anchor FM have me with my little musical playlist for a holiday weekend. So Morrison's is selling a chocolate pizza. Morrison's is a grocery store in the UK. We all love pizza. We all love chocolate. What about a chocolate pizza? Morrison's have created this dream or monstrosity, depending on your feelings, for Easter. Would you fancy trying a 10-inch stone-baked chocolate pizza? The toppings include milk chocolate buttons, milk chocolate eggs, milk chocolate chips, and cookie dough. Of course, there's no tomato sauce. I mean, you can't congeal the tomato sauce with the chocolate. I mean, that would turn anybody's stomach. There's cream cheese instead. So if you want one, it's going to cost £2.89 in best British sterling. Um, and some can't wait to try this sweet pizza while others are horrified. My kind of pizza wrote one. It looks awful and sister another. Somebody wrote, ugh. Those who have tried it are raving about it. It looks a lot nicer than it, uh, it, it, a lot nicer than it looks and sounds once cooked. We did taste test uh, the uh, other day. It tastes way better than it looks, said one person. Uh, and then one creative genius said, I don't eat pizza. And when I was in school, we made pizza. So literally did this. It works. So a fat yes from me. And then another valid point. People say pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. Then some lunatic creates this monstrosity. I mean, you could add pineapple and chocolate, I suppose. I mean, that would be a, the anathema of most people, I think. I mean, it might turn some, certainly turn some stomachs. But I mean, do you think anybody does the pepperoni and the chocolate? I mean, I know bacon and chocolate goes very well. Ba bacon and maple goes very well. I first tried that uh, probably about 15 years ago in Chicago. The first time I'd ever tried bacon and sweet together. And I and I have to say I had to I had to take a you know I had to take some medication beforehand to stop my hand from shaking and my stomach from turning, um, but it was absolutely delicious. I mean, it was like it seriously was like peaches and cream for the palate. So, Raiders of the Lost Hot Cross Bun. I didn't think the Hot Cross Bun existed in America. But I decided to put on 
my leather waxed motorcycle jacket, a tan safari shirt, a battered wax trilby, and get my whip out. Put in my uh, put my pistol into the holster. Well, actually, it was a banana into the holster. Chappie doesn't do uh, guns. Put a banana gun or a super soaker. I always do. And I went searching. I mean, it's it's like one of the songs on the playlist today. I look for love in Memphis. I look for love in Rome. Um, I mean, I was looking for a miracle, a divine Good Friday miracle, and I couldn't find it. I mean, I I, I looked in all sorts of grocery stores, from King Supers to Safeways uh, to. Uh, I mean, I even went into a couple of uh, Whole Foods. I went into bakeries. And then, I mean, constant searching as well. I went through tunnels. I had to remove a huge stone from a cave and go and looked inside. Was the hot cross bun going to be resurrected inside of the cave? Alas, no. I went through spider's webs. I went through pits of snakes. Along the way, I actually found, you know, the Holy Grail the Elgin Marbles, um, the uh, Colossus of Rhodes, but I could not find, I could not find the hot cross bun. I mean, I looked, I looked everywhere, in every nook and cranny one could hope for. And alas, it was not to be found. I mean, I, I, I used my whip to remove oodles of Cadbury's UK chocolate, the best chocolate, not the imitated version out of the way, looking for the hot cross buns. And then, finally, 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 I typed in holiday buns, holiday buns, into the search engine. And the crossed, sticky delight of the hot cross bun was revealed to my eyes and it was absolutely delicious I mean it was it was so good to see the spectacle of my youth in front of me sticky goodness absolutely fantastic uh, doughy raisiny curranty little spit of dash of spice as well for those who aren't used to the hot cross bun it was truly a miracle reborn on this good friday and i broke it apart added a dash of butter and some black currant jam to add that little piquancy but once again, Chappie the British butler, Indiana Chappie, and the temple of doomed no hot cross buns. Raiders of the lost hot cross bun. The last crusade of the hot cross bun. All of those tales were completed. And I'm so bloody proud of myself as I tucked into this toasted bun with butter dripping off it down my chin. God bless America for providing me the hot cross bun.
Okay, so the history of the hot cross bun. A hot cross bun is a spiced sweet bun, usually made with fruit, marked with a cross on top and traditionally eaten on Good Friday in the United Kingdom, Ireland, Australia, India, New Zealand, South Africa, and some parts of the America, including Canada. And the United States, have we found out? The bun marks the end of Lent, and different parts of the hot cross bun have certain meaning, including the cross representing the crucifixion of Christ, and the spices inside signifying the spices used to embalm him at the burial. They're available all year round in some places. In history, Christian countries have plain buns made without dairy products forbidden in Lent until Palm Sunday and traditionally eaten hot or toasted after midday on Good Friday. Well, I started scoffing them down a little bit sooner than that. The Greeks in the 6th century have marked the cakes with a cross. One theory is the hot cross bun originates from St. Albans in England where brother Thomas Rodcliffe, a 14th century monk at St. Albans Abbey, developed a similar recipe called the Alban bun and distributed the bun to the local poor on Good Friday starting in 1361. In the time of Elizabeth I of England, 1592, the London clerks of uh, markets issued a decree forbidding the sale of hot cross buns and other spiced bread except at burials on Good Friday or at Christmas. The punishment for transgressing the decree was forfeiture of all forbidden product of the poor. As a result of this decree, hot cross buns at the time were primarily made in domestic kitchens. Further attempts to suppress the sale of these items took place during the reign of James I. The first definitive record of the hot cross bun comes from a London street cry. Good Friday comes this month. The old woman runs with one or two a penny hot cross buns. And that was in the Paul Robbins Almanac in 1733. The buns were made in London during the 18th century. But when you start looking for re uh, records or recipes earlier than that, you hit nothing. So in the traditions, English folklore includes many superstitions surrounding the hot cross bun. One of them says that the buns that are served on Good Friday will not spoil or grow mouldy during the subsequent year. Another encourages keeping such a bun for medicinal purposes. A piece of it is given to somebody ill to help them recover. It's taken on a sea voyage. Hot cross buns are said to protect against shipwrecks. They should have taken them on the Titanic. If hung in the kitchen, they protect against fires and ensure that all breads turn out perfectly. The hanging bun is replaced each year. So nothing better than a well-hung bun. Uh, in the U UK, major supermarkets produce variations of the traditional recipes such as toffee, orange cranberry, salted caramel and chocolate and apple spiced. In Australia, they have a coffee version. The not cross bun is a variation of the traditional hot cross bun. It uses the same ingredients but contains a different marking piped on top of the bun instead of the cross. Uh, Sonoma Baking Company in Sydney was the first commercial who sold the not cross bun which, uh, you know, for many of my listeners, may want the not cross bun rather than the hot cross bun. So, if you're listening on the musical edition of Chappie's show here, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, you would have heard the song Blackbird by the Beatles. So, 1968, on the Beatles' double album. But what was the significance? I mean, I love my springtime walk especially this morning. The birds were chirping, and I saw a little blackbird chirping up in the tree. But what's the significance of the Blackbird song by the Beatles? So, McCartney explained on Chaos and Creation, which uh, aired in 2005, the guitar accompaniment for Blackbird was inspired by Johann Sebastian Bach's Burian E Minor, 
a loop, a loop piece often played by classical guitar. As teenagers, he and George Harrison tried to learn the Burie as a show-off piece, and the Burie is distinguished by melody and bass notes played simultaneously, and McCartney adapted the segment. In the-, the first night, his future wife, Linda Eastman, stayed at his home. McCartney played Blackbird for the fans camped outside his house. The finger-picking technique that McCartney uses in the song was taught to him by the folk singer Donovan. So since composing Blackbird in 1968, McCartney has given various statements regarding the inspiration for the song and its meaning. In one of those scenarios, he said he was inspired by hearing the call of Blackbird one morning when the Beatles were studying transcendental meditation in Rikishash, India. In another, he recalls it in Scotland as a response to racial tensions in the United States. Following a show in Dallas, Texas, he discussed the song with a DJ. I had been doing some poetry readings in the last year, so because I had got a poetry book out called Blackbird Singing, and when I would read Blackbird, I would always try to think of the explanation to tell people. So I was doing explanations, and I actually just remembered why I'd written Blackbird. You know that I'd been, I was in Scotland playing my guitar, and I remembered this whole idea you're only waiting for the moment to arise is about. You know that the, of the racial struggles in the southern states, and I was using the symbolism of the Blackbird. It's not really about a blackbird whose wings are broken, but it was a bit more symbolic than that. Okay, so we have some local crimes to report here. This is a good service for the community. But we had a suspicious white van in the neighborhood. This unmarked white construction van driving through the neighborhood in the evening for about a week. It's very loud. And around 7.30, the van stopped in front of the house. When we opened the front door, he quickly turned around and sped off. The driver appeared to be Caucasian with dark hair. Didn't get a great look. We reported the vehicle, but does anybody have a doorbell camera that could check out footage for the license plate? The same van was in the uh, community tonight as well. This is uh, one of the responses on next door. It looked like the person had been doing construction around the creek area weeks ago. He's doing the same thing as he described, stopping in front of the house. Can you call the sheriff's office? Said another respondent. Around 4.30, it was very loud. He had paper license plates and, and as though it was newly purchased. I bet it's the same van. I couldn't believe how loud it was. Do you know he's been doing work in their neighborhood or just driving around as well? He was in the HF2 last night and tonight he was delivering packages. A noisy white van. Packages in our cold attack three or four times a week. Never look for tags. But he seemed to be delivering boxes. Just check my security camera. He doesn't appear on my video. It could be the yummy van driver. He comes to our house every Wednesdays, about seven-ish. It's usually a white van. He's been doing it every night about a week, but he could be doing other deliveries too. He saw the loud van driving around two nights ago, didn't get a license plate. He has a very loud van, broken muffler, dropping off a package. Around the, uh, around the local neighborhood. The guy in a vehicle 
Looked like he delivered a package to our house last night. Very loud muffler. Needs to get it fixed. Called him on my ring. I mean, one thing for sure, everybody has these ring uh, video cameras and everything else and doorbells. I mean, it must be a suburban thing. The ring is a suburban delicacy, without a doubt. But another crime, other local news here. Someone put cheese on my car for the second time this week. Someone in the neighborhood has failed as a parent and raised a vandal. Anyone who thought this was funny, can they refrain from replying? Cheese belongs on a sandwich, not on a car. I'm so fettered up. I filed a complaint with the proper authorities. So be warned, cheesehead. So for those of you who are listening to the musical accompaniment, there's Cheesy Lover for the gentleman who has a slice of American cheese placed on his windscreen every day for the last week. But an enigmatic English eccentric habit, how far can you throw a black pudding? The hurling of Lancashire's dark delicacy is a tasteful tradition in Ramsbottom. The rules are simple, but the equipment is specialist. In the world's black pudding throwing competition in the market town of Ramsbottom, historically in Lancashire, only the best produce is used. Bespoke black puddings about the size of a fist and swaddled in a woman's tights are the ammunition. A pile of perfectly crisp and light Yorkshire puddings are the target. All throws must be underarm. It's a peculiar contest played on the centuries-old grudge between the counties of Lancashire and Yorkshire. It's well attended, with crowds numbering in their hundreds, not least it's run outside a local pub, the Royal Oak. With only three throws, contestants try to knock down a pile of Yorkshire puddings on top of a 20-foot plinth. Uh, local uh, legend says the contest has its roots in the Wars of the Roses and the tradition was revived in the 1980s. Ramsbottom, now in Greater Manchester, is proud of its locally made black puddings, a northern specialty of pig's bud, onions and oats. Competition puddings are made to regulation weight and wrapped in tight so they don't fall apart. Yorkshire's crisper and lighter are made of flour, milk and eggs. Nearby is the Heritage East Lancashire Railway and Ramsbottom Station. It's just down the road from the pub. Every year, the Golden Grid, where competitors stand to lob their missiles, is brought in by the steam train and carried to the Royal Oak, accompanied by bagpipes. It's a very sociable, uh, friendly atmosphere, even if you don't come from Lancashire, uh, says Avril Shepherd, who doesn't sound like a Lancashire or Yorkshire. It's more like, well, it's a very sociable, friendly atmosphere, even if you don't come from Lancashire. I mean, that's terrible as well, actually. Uh, anyway, I'll practice my Lancashire and Yorkshire accent on future. I mean, it's very difficult when you're trying to suck a throat lozenge and have uh, maybe half a ton of Vicks rubbed all over you. It's, of course, a bit of fun, but pretty uh, post-industrial towns like an eccentric traditions include egg rolling. The Prince of Wales and David Cameron have been invited uh, to uh, watch this. The Black Pudding Wars, the legend. Rumour has it that the pudding throwing dates back to the Walls of the Roses in 1455, Houses of Lancashire and York were pitched battle near Stubbins, uh, just north of Ramsbottom. Both armies ran out of ammunition, so Lancashire side started hurling black puddings and their foes through Yorkshire puddings. Anyway, so, I mean, we, have our, we do have our Yorkshire Pudding Association of America, 
and maybe this is what we need to introduce it could you know it could be maybe on the 3rd or 5th of July we could have black pudding throwing competitions trying to knock down Yorkshire puddings and it could be uh, you know it could be a, a, a sort of a revitalization of uh, of the war of independence you know but instead of muskets at dawn it could be black puddings at dawn so you can hear in the background I'm, I'm, I'm frying up some bacon here uh, but why bacon sandwiches are bad for your health? Processed meat has been linked to an increased risk of developing dementia. Bacon sandwiches may be off the menu after researchers suggest this week that eating a little of a little as 25 grams of processed meat each day, equivalent to a single rasher, just one rasher, I normally about six rashers, um, is a 44% increased risk of developing dementia. It's not the first time that meat has been associated with increased risk of age-related cognitive decline, but previous studies have failed to determine which types of meat. They have mostly uh, investigated consumption of total meat or just the general term meat, rather than specifying meat types. The study didn't, uh, didn't look at what is about processed meat such as bacon, sausage and salami that's potentially damaging, but other researchers have suggested that nitrates, the chemicals used to cure processed meats, uh, might affect the brain it's too early to say how much we should eat to avoid and keep the brain healthy but general healthy guidelines suggest eating less processed meat but you know what i think adding brown sauce to uh, to a bacon sandwich it, it cures all ills so i think all the unhealthy aspects of the bacon sandwich it actually is made healthier when you add a dash of brown sauce to it but cheese these are the good things so ladies and gentlemen cheese can protect your memory um, the University of Iowa looked at how specific food influenced brain functions later in life. Cheese was found to be by far the most protective food. So you cheese, cheese addicts, you cheese whores out there, people who like to keep cheese like myself on my Twitter. That is a great piece of news here. A review of evidence published um, that said uh, in, in Japan, researchers suggest that a mix of fatty acids and beneficial bacteria when some cheese ferments including brie, stilton, mature cheddar, um, contribute to the prevention of dementia. Eating lamb once a week can boost your brain. So lamb rogan josh can be a savior. Hazelnuts, artichokes, and broad beans help to slow cognitive decline, including five. A glass of Vang Rouge will boost your brain health. Coffee can reduce dementia. Curry can be good for your memory. Well, you know what? I must have the best memory. I must have almost a photographic memory of the amount of uh, curry I like to consume. Okay, so what are you going to wash down your bacon sandwich? What are you going to wash down your bacon sandwich? I think a lovely glass of gin and tonic. I mean, get a bunch of ice, cool that glass down, um, and then uh, nice, maybe a nice Hendrix. A dash of uh, a dash of that tonic as well uh, would be absolutely delicious. A little Indian tonic in there, um, slices of lime. Squeeze that lime in there as well. That would be absolutely uh, fantabulous. You know what? I really do feel like spring has sprung. I, I feel like a gin and tonic today. I think a gin and tonic would be rather lovely. And um, if you're not a fan of the tonic, try a grin and tonic. That's the grapefruit and gin. And it's going to make you smile on a on a on a summer's day or a spring day. That is the grin and tonic. 
So let this, on this holiday weekend, enjoy a little bit of gin and juice. Another session of Trump or Trombone, where we take the most awful, heinous headline crimes of the week and equate it to a raspy trombone or a very vicious Trump. Um, and this uh, this week, uh, the first up, we have Google Maps user baffled after finding giant inflatable baby on somebody's front lawn. A Reddit user came across a peculiar site while playing geographic guessing game uh, GeoGuessr online and shared the baffling image online. Um, with Google Maps, it's an easy way to look around the world and people have found all sorts of things on their virtual travels, flying rabbits, alien spacecraft, one of the strangers must be the giant inflatable baby spotted in the front garden of the suburban home in Reimst in Belgium. Well, I thought there was only one inflatable man baby, and he was now in Florida, not allowed to throw his toys out of the Twitter pram anymore. And Pastor says he farts on the heads of worshippers to demonstrate God's power. Pastor Christ uh, Penelope has fired back at criticism on the uh, unusual practice after photos of him sitting on the faces of devotees in South Africa made the rounds on social media. A South African pastor who farts on the heads of his congregation has fired back at the criticism, insisting he's demonstrating God's power. Pastor Christ Penelope of the Sevenfold Holy Spirit's Ministries in South Africa province of Limpolu uh, reportedly breaks wind on the church members he supposedly helps them become wealthy, it's claimed. Some devotees are said to wait months to experience a so-called sacred blow-off and uh, hopefully turn their fortunes around. Well, that's possibly not the body or blood of Christ, but the bodily functions. Father, Son and Holy Father, I hate to see what his holy water is. So Trump is back. He unveils a new website that lets you book him or Melania to speak at events. The former president of the United States, Donald Trump, is now listed on 45office.com for people to book him or his wife, Melania Trump, for personal greetings and visits and visitations. So it's basically the thrift store of celebrity booking these days. You get Melania for a baby shower and Donald for a golden shower. For her troops is a Boer War survivor. Chocolate ordered by Queen Victoria to boost her soldiers' morale has been found in its original wrapping in a Boer War helmet case in the attic of a country house. It was discovered by the National Trust, staff and relatives of the helmet's former over owner, Sir Henry Paston Beddingfield, 8th Baronet, when they were cataloguing the possessions of his daughter, Frances Greathead, who died uh, last year, age 100. Bedingfield served in the Second Boer War of 1899-1902, and curators believe that he kept the sweet treat as a memento. Now of a distinctly unappetizing appearance, it was part of a huge batch issued to troops in South Africa in 1900 on the Queen's initiative. It was intended that every soldier and officer would receive a tin containing half pound of plain chocolate with the inscription South Africa 1900. I wish you a happy new year in the Queen's handwriting. More than 100,000 tins were produced. Many soldiers kept the tins. While some survived, a few can be traced to their original recipients and fewer can contain their original contents. The chocolate was made by Cadbury's, Fries and Roundtree's, but the Quaker companies refused to accept payment owing to their owners' pacifist principles. Their branding was left off the wrappers until Queen Victoria insisted that her men should see that they were receiving British chocolate. Anna Forrest, National Trust creator 
uh, the Oxborough Hall, said, although it no longer looks appetising, it's well past its use date, it's still complete and a remarkable find. By the turn of the century, Henry was a major in the militia of the King's Liverpool Regiment and fought in the Boer War. He was still in South Africa when his father died in 1902, which is when he returned to England and to Oxborough Hall, aged 42. It's said that one night, while in his tent, Henry heard a woman crying, uh, followed by his father's uh, voice saying, It's your mother, Henry, I'm dying. In the morning, he met the adjutant who wrote the story down and dated it. It was two weeks before they got a telegram confirming his father's death. Henry's uncle was a friend of the 5th Duke of Wellington and arranged for Henry to be sent back to England. The trust intends to put the Boer War items on display at the house. You know what? That probably uh, 150-year-old chocolate probably tastes a lot better than some of the American versions. For listening to the podcast today, it's uh, chappy uh, out, uh, or very soon it'll be chappy out. And um, just wanted to say, so so the musical version of the show is on Spotify and Anchor FM. We're going to see how it uh, how it evolves, how it works. Um, it's a little bit different to the audio podcast, so you know, takes a little bit of work. And um, hopefully, you'll like the uh, the music selections. It is like a little bit like a chocolate box, uh, something for everybody. Hopefully, uh, on the uh, on the podcast. Um, but uh, I'm still on Apple Music, um, Apple Podcasts, uh, across uh, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, at Keep Cheese on Twitter, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese uh, on Instagram. You can always uh, look up my nonsense and uh, ponderings uh, on Instagram and Twitter uh, during the week. Um, I did put an April Fool's up. It's not my new pet chelephant. Uh, it's, uh, it was uh, a little bit of Photoshop, part chinchilla part elephant and you have the uh, indeed the chelephant uh, so uh, happy april fool's day for yesterday by john betjeman loneliness the last year's leaves are on the beach the twigs are black the cold is dry to deeps beyond the richest reach the easter bells enlarge the sky a ordered metal clatter clang is yours the song of angels sang You fill my heart with joy and grief, belief, belief, and unbelief. And though you tell me I shall die, you say not how or when or why. Indifferent the finches sing, unheeding roll the lorries pass. What misery will this year bring? Now spring is in the air at last. For those as blackthorn bursts to snow, cancer in some of us will grow. The taste crematorium door shuts out for some furnace roar. But the church bells open on the blast. Our loneliness so long and vast. Hope you'll have a happy Easter. And uh, I will be back um, tomorrow um, when uh, we continue our little uh, Easter celebration. Um, So we always are trying to do two podcasts this week uh, or every week. And um, I hope you'll uh, join me again tomorrow for the uh, next edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese where we're actually hitting 75. I mean, that's quite a tally in the whole pantheon of podcasts. So uh, join me tomorrow. Uh, Until then, cheerio for now.